0: Well, good afternoon. My name is Becca Sire, and I'm the Director of Campus Ministry at the St. John Paul II Newman Center at the University of Illinois at Chicago. I'm so blessed and honored to be spending this afternoon with you all and diving into such a rich and beautiful topic. Since Jesus is one of the best storytellers in the world and would often share stories in order to get his point across, I figured I'd model his approach this afternoon and share a few of my personal stories. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. I am what most people call a cradle Catholic. My parents raised me in a Catholic home, and many of the people I surround myself with are also Catholic. So my faith has always been something that was just understood and accepted. Mass was never an option for my family, even though when I was younger, I used to sleep in just long enough for it to be too late for me to get ready to go to Mass on Sundays. I was involved with youth group in middle school and high school, and Catholic campus ministry was a huge part of my life through college. I seemed to be living the perfect life. I even met a really nice guy in my chemistry class during my junior year of high school, and we went to junior prom together and eventually officially became a couple. He was a nice guy who treated me well and who I really cared for. We finished high school as a couple and even remained together through the first two years of college, despite the three hour distance between our universities. Our families got along really well, and at the time, I started to think he was the one I would eventually marry. We had even talked about our plans after college graduation. At the time, I was pursuing a career in pharmacy, so I was going to apply to pharmacy schools near where he would be completing his master's in education. And after we were married, we would get a house that was halfway between our two schools and commute every day. We seemed to be perfect for one another, and had our plans set, until we started getting into deeper conversations about our faith. He was Protestant and had some disagreements with some of the Catholic practices and beliefs, and having been raised in the faith, it was all I had ever known. So we started engaging in these deeper conversations, but every time he would ask me a question about why I believed a certain thing, I would be at a loss for words, because my faith had never before been challenged. Honestly, I usually always ended up in tears after our conversations because I would feel personally attacked, even though he did not intend to come across that way. Even though my faith was all I had ever known for these 20 years of my life, I could not find the words to explain any of it. He was hoping that we could meet in the middle somewhere, find something we both agreed upon, and share that faith with our future kids. But I couldn't. I knew deep in my heart that this is who I was and what I believed and even though I couldn't explain it with words, I wasn't willing to throw it all away. I returned back home after we ultimately decided to end our relationship because of the differences in our faith and I remember breaking down in my parents arms saying, why is it so hard to be Catholic? I was broken and lost. I was unsure about my faith. I was starting to doubt everything that I held in my heart as truth. My faith was and is my everything, and having that challenged by another person destroyed me. Was I just Catholic in name only? Ironically enough, I had signed up for a retreat weekend called Encounter with Christ, or EWC for short, which was happening the very weekend after the big breakup and at the time, I did not want to go. Before, I would have jumped at the opportunity to attend retreats, meet new people, but my heart wasn't in it anymore. And I knew I would be an emotional wreck the whole weekend. And I was. I remember breaking down the very first night when we had our first small group breakout session as I started to verbally process everything that had happened until that point. Then, during one part of the retreat, we were given letters of affirmation and encouragement from previous retreatants. And when I started reading through the letter after letter, I noticed that almost every single one of them had said that they were praying for me the week prior to my EWC weekend, the week that my faith was being challenged. I was immediately overwhelmed with the power of God's love. Because at that moment, I knew that God was telling me that I was not alone even though I thought I was during the breakup. It was a reminder for me how much God truly loves us and how He has a plan for our lives. I felt a huge sense of peace during the rest of the retreat. I went back to confession for the first time in several years. I had a very emotional heart-to-heart with Jesus during adoration and ultimately, I asked the Holy Spirit for guidance and courage to help me learn more about my faith and learn how to communicate it to others. The perfect plan that I had mapped out in my head prior to the breakup was my plan, not God's plan. At the time, I was in a very low place and thought that being Catholic was too difficult, but it was a wake-up call from God he was telling me that he had something better in store for me. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Psalm 56 3. As I mentioned in my first story, I was pursuing a career in pharmacy through college and received my bachelor's of science in biochemistry with a French minor. I always thought I would end up in the medical field especially since both of my parents were, and still are, nurses. At the end of my junior year, I began to prepare for the PCAT, the Pharmacy College Admissions Test, and also work on interview preparation. Several of my classmates and professors asked me the same question. Why do you want to be a pharmacist? And yet, for some reason, I could never find the words to answer. Sure, it would have been a financially stable job, and I probably could have found a job anywhere since pharmacists are always needed. However, I had discovered that I had no passion for it. It was the first time in my life that I began to ask the question, what does God want me to do? And I did this by praying the rosary daily through a 54 day rosary novena. The first 27 days of this novena are in petition for something The second 27 days are in thanksgiving of receiving that for which you asked. They say you always receive what you ask for, but maybe not in the same way that you had hoped or expected. During my first 27 days, I prayed and asked for clarity about my future career. And what was interesting is that through prayer, I experienced flashbacks of previous ministerial opportunities such as leading youth group activities, volunteering at my parish's Catechesis of the Good Shepherd classes, and even facilitating my own small group in my dorm study room once a week. On the very last day of the first 27 days, several campus ministers from all over my home diocese visited our campus for a Catholic campus ministry site visit. Essentially, they wanted to hear how things were going offer suggestions for things we could be doing better, and provide any resources that we needed. They interviewed several of the students involved in our ministry, and I was interviewed by a campus minister who happened to be a good friend of mine. When I shared with her my struggle of discerning my vocation and having the memory flashbacks during prayer, she asked me something that I will never forget. Have you ever heard of the ECHO program? The rest of my interview consisted of her sharing what ECHO was, what it could offer me, and how she knew several ECHO apprentices who were doing incredible things for the church. The ECHO program was and is a two-year catechetical leadership training program where young people work towards a master's in theology while also serving the church full-time in parish ministry, all out of the University of Notre Dame. Essentially. An opportunity to learn the faith and be able to communicate it with others, exactly what I had asked the Holy Spirit for during my retreat weekend the year before. This conversation initiated the second half of my novena as I reached out to ECHO staff to ask questions about the program, worked on my application materials, and shared with my family and friends the news that I was completely changing career paths everything fell into place, which made it ever more clear that this is what God was calling me to do. Looking back now, the resurfaced memories were the seeds of a career doing what I already loved to do, sharing Jesus with others and spreading love everywhere I go. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Deuteronomy 31, eight. Two years ago when I was starting my second year of Echo and serving here in the Diocese of Joliet, I woke up from a dream at 5 a.m. to the faint smell of smoke. It seemed to come and go, which made me think it was all just in my head. After a quick trip to the bathroom, I got back into bed However, my heart was still restless. I said a quick prayer to Mama Mary, despite my uncertainty as to why I was praying so early in the morning. Reveal to me what I need to see, I asked through my prayer. And then I heard a very clear voice that told me to get up, go, and find what you were looking for. I grabbed my phone and using it as a flashlight began to search throughout the house for the source of this weird smell. I did not see any traces of smoke coming from any of my housemates rooms, so I decided to check the main floor. I walked to the front of our townhouse and checked outside through the front windows, but did not see anything. So I moved towards the back of our townhouse and peeked out our back windows, only to find the reflection of flame in a parked car on the street. Immediately recognizing that something was seriously wrong and feeling my heart start to beat faster I quickly opened the sliding glass door to our back deck, stepped outside, and glanced to my right. The entire backside of my neighbor's home had been taken over by flames, from the driveway all the way up to the deck. As if on autopilot, I dialed 911 on my phone and ran back into the house, frantically screaming my housemates' names. I gave our address to the 911 operator as we all ran out the front door. Barefoot and still in our pajamas, my housemates and I headed to wake up our neighbors since our homes were all connected. We banged on their doors as loud as we could while also simultaneously ringing their doorbells. The 911 operator informed me that help was on the way and after what felt like several minutes, our neighbors finally woke up and came downstairs to answer their doors. We quickly told them what was going on and help them rescue their pets and as we were moving away from the houses we heard a loud explosion we turned around and saw that both roofs and top floors of their homes where they had just been sleeping a few minutes before had completely erupted into flames it finally became a reality that we had just saved their lives right in time the rest of the morning was such a blur between con- comforting and praying over our neighbors as they cried out in grief over losing their homes and belongings, falling to my knees in the wet grass and praying as many Hail Marys as I could, helping take care of our neighbors' pets, and sharing details with multiple police officers and firefighters. Everyone kept saying that we saved the day and that had we not acted when we did, several people would have lost their lives that morning, including ourselves. And yet, I could not take all of the credit. I kept reminding everyone that it was God who kept us safe that morning. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Isaiah forty one ten. Flash forward a year later, and I was reminded that in one second, your life can be drastically impacted for better or for worse. On a normal weekday morning, just after rush hour. I was on my way to work via the CTA train, which I took every day to and from work. While on the platform and after hearing that my train was about two minutes away, a large, tall and intimidating man came up to me, tried to make awkward small talk, asked if I had a gun and then told me not to run. In just a split second, I feared for my life. Every part of his voice and body language indicated that he had a weapon on him And would use it if i didn't give him what he wanted in that moment he wanted all the cash that i had on me so i gave him the only thing i had to offer a twenty dollar bill after receiving what he came for he walked away only to turn back at the last second to mutter a very aggressive thanks my whole body shook i fought to hold back my tears I couldn't even get on the train anymore, so I ran back to my apartment and called the police to report the incident. In just a single second, I was stripped of my confidence and sense of security as a single young woman living in the heart of a city. For the few days following, I was terrified to go anywhere alone. I couldn't take the train to work. I still avoid taking it by myself even to this day. I power walked to and from church which was only a few blocks away from my apartment, turning the 10 minute trip into a five minute one. I couldn't even walk through the grocery store without tensing up any time anyone would walk past me. I feared for my life every time I walked from point A to point B, thinking everyone was potentially going to hurt me. I often found myself getting angry with God through my daily prayer. Why weren't you there? Everything was going fine. Why did I need to go through something like that? When I was sharing this with a priest, he suggested that I revisit that day in my mind, but this time walk there hand in hand with Jesus. He said, see what happens when you get there. Let that be your prayer. So I did just that. I found that I never let go of his hand, nor did he let go of mine. He was there with me the entire time holding my hand, and still remains with me wherever I go. He protected me that day, and will continue to protect me all the days of my life. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. We all have a story. We all have experienced different things in our lives. We all have come here today for different reasons, and we all have different things that we have struggled with or are currently struggling with. I share my stories with you today, not to glorify them or even glorify myself, but to instead glorify God and his work. Throughout all of history, God has been working in and through people, especially when they are faced with fearful situations and moments of suffering. And the two individuals who immediately come to mind that I want us to reflect on today are Job and Mary. I actually have a very good seminarian friend of mine gave me the nickname Job last year, and after hearing my stories of physical and spiritual struggle, you might understand why. Job was a wealthy man, having ten children and lots of livestock and property. He was also spiritually wealthy, offering daily prayer to God and thanksgiving for his family and everything he had. But God, at Satan's persistent prompting, allows him to be tested. Over time, Job loses all of his property, his livestock, his friends, and with the exception of his wife, his entire family. And if that wasn't enough, he then loses his health as he becomes afflicted with painful sores all over his body. Having lost essentially everything, he sinks into depression. And to make matters worse, the three friends he trusted came to console him, but ended up harassing him and providing inadequate support instead. Thus, Job loses his dignity. This is the last straw for him. So after crying out to God for an entire chapter, why this, why me? God visits him face to face. Rather than explaining divine justice, he spends time recounting the creation narratives, explaining them in detail, and essentially unfolding the beginning of the greatest love story of all time. Even though Job can't fully understand everything God is sharing, he is still satisfied and remains faithful to his trust in God's plan. And then his wealth and health are restored. So here's what I love most about my main man, Job. No matter what he lost or what trial he was facing at the time, he still maintained his trust in God. He loses everything, even despite his faithfulness and dedication to daily prayer. And even though he has a brief moment of looking to God to say, seriously, why? And is eventually graced with God's patience and counsel and transcendent understanding, he is satisfied. He doesn't fully understand it, but he doesn't need to. Quote, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven and he that vouches for me is on high for I know that my redeemer lives and at last, He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, then from my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Job's struggle, pain, fear, and suffering is the very source of his continued faithfulness and commitment to serving God in all aspects of his life. Even in the midst of having his personal belongings and family taken away from him, he praises God. Quote, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 21. Praising God in the most desperate of situations is so difficult and challenging even if one's trust is in God is great but what a witness and example for us to follow. The second biblical figure that comes to mind is Mary, and who better to talk about on the subject of fear and submitting to the will of God? Let's revisit the scene in Luke chapter one. Now the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary, And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement, and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God, and behold, Even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her." So here is this roughly 14-year-old girl who was being told by an angel talk about an overwhelming experience in and of itself being told by an angel that she was going to be pregnant and not only that but that her baby would be the son of God what I'm sorry if I remember back to when I was 14 roughly around those awkward middle school years I'm pretty sure my only worries at the time were whether the boy in my class liked me when if ever would I get my first kiss And was I keeping up with the latest fashion trends? But the beautiful thing about Mary, among many things, is that even Mary's yes came along with the question of, but how? This brings me comfort that even she questioned, how is this possible? In the midst of discerning and accepting God's will for her life, this doesn't mean that she didn't trust God. She trusted him wholeheartedly but she does question and ponder the means by which God's plan would occur. She was also completely free to say no. But even despite that freedom, she still says yes. I can only imagine the fearful and anxious thoughts that were flooding her mind in that moment. How can I be pregnant? I'm not married. I haven't had sex. What will my friends think? What will the neighbors think? What will they say about me? How can I be the mother to the Son of God? What if I fail at being a mother? But her trust in God's fulfillment of the plan transcends any worry or fear that she has. As seen in her prayer of praise, you will make it so. St. John Paul II once said, From Mary we learn to surrender to God's will in all things. From Mary we learn to trust even when all hope seems gone. From Mary, we learn to love Christ, her Son, and the Son of God. The other thing I love about Mary in the early part of her pregnancy is that she immediately visits her cousin Elizabeth after hearing that she is also pregnant by the grace of God. After receiving guidance and support first from God, Mary finds another in whom she trusts and goes to her for advice and guidance on how to practically move forward from the initial news. She knows that Elizabeth, in a way, is experiencing the fear and uncertainty of giving birth for the first time. And even though Elizabeth was much older than Mary, Mary still found someone who could talk and walk with her through this new and divine experience. Both Mary and Job were faced with situations that would have naturally elicited fear. But instead, they trusted. There's great wisdom in their response. And I'm reminded of a great philosopher and Star Wars Jedi Master who once said, Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Nothing good comes from fear. There's no point, especially if we believe in God's omnipotence and omniscience and come to know who he really is through a personal relationship with him in daily prayer. He walks with us through everything, highs and lows, even if we do not recognize or acknowledge his presence. Easier said than done, right? I have to keep reminding myself of this often because it is something that I can easily forget. One of my pet peeves is when people respond to bad situations with, Well, this is all in God's plan. And the reason this bothers me so is that it gives us the wrong impression that God wanted these bad things to happen, that he caused these things to happen. But this isn't in God's nature. He doesn't desire suffering, and he certainly doesn't cause it. Instead, God loves us so much that he gave us the gift of freedom, the gift of choice, the gift of free will. And with that comes suffering because we ultimately have the choice to turn away from God. And many of us have probably experienced pain and darkness that accompanies us when we make that choice to turn away. At least I have. But what God can do is bring beauty from suffering. So we must constantly strive to find the beauty in our suffering and respond to suffering with trust in the good that God will bring from it. So what can you do when you are afraid? Because no matter how many times we hear talks on this subject, there are going to be moments of fear and anxiety in our lives. Here are my three suggestions for what to do when you're faced with these moments. Number one, pray. We first and foremost have to turn to God in the midst of struggle. This may sound like an obvious suggestion, but at least for me, I know in the very moments of struggle, pain, anxiety, fear, etc are the moments where I feel the farthest away from God, and this couldn't be more farther, farther from the truth. When my students come to me with questions of discernment, I'll use the analogy that God is like the world's best GPS with a 100% success rate. He can see the entire map of our lives, and he can even reroute us at times. So wouldn't it make sense to ask him for clarity as to why we are going through certain things, or even better, clarity for how to overcome it, we can pray for certain virtues such as patience, understanding, fortitude or courage, strength, and perseverance. These are going to sustain us and help us get through these tough times of uncertainty. I have a group chat with my classmates from the ECHO program and we implemented what we call the 911 prayer. The way it works is that if you ever found yourself in a moment of desperation or in need of prayers, you can just text 911 to the group chat, and whenever someone reads that message, we are supposed to stop whatever it is that we are doing and immediately pray Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and abides in the shade of the Almighty says to the Lord, my refuge, my stronghold, my God in whom I trust. We don't have to explain why we need the prayers, although sometimes we'll clarify, like 911 for my grandpa who was just rushed to the hospital, or 911 for me because my anxiety is overwhelming me today. But regardless if we explain or not, we are guaranteed immediate prayers from our friends. Number two, talk to someone you trust. Again, this almost sounds silly to say out loud, but this can be so helpful in terms of talking through what is going on out loud with someone. It helps to have someone from the outside of your mind help provide clarity within the situation. And even if they don't necessarily give you the advice for how to overcome it, after all, look at the poor advice Job got from his so-called friends, just the very presence of another human being can be comforting enough for our soul. So this person could be a spouse, a coworker, a family member, a friend, or even a spiritual director. You guys, if you don't already have a spiritual director, I highly recommend you find one. I used to be on the anti-spiritual direction chain myself, thinking that talking to God through daily prayer or casually unpacking my experiences with other friends was enough to satisfy that part of my life. But it is an awesome opportunity to have someone accompany you, intentionally pray with and for you, and even suggest further spiritual resources all rooted in the true presence and working of the Holy Spirit. And finally, number three, focus on the good. I personally struggle with this a lot. And I actually just wrote an article from my blog, neveradullmoment.org, about this because I had an extremely tough summer health wise this year. And in it, I said, How often do we dwell on the negative rather than seeing goodness among darkness? I can immediately share with you everything that went wrong before sharing the fruit of an experience or event. I can point out my imperfections before sharing my gifts. I can name what could have been better before sharing what went well. But how can we build the kingdom if we stay in this mindset? No one likes hanging out with negative individuals who are always complaining, and I have personally discovered this. We should instead strive to see the positive in every situation, good or bad. God is at work in each of our lives. And even if it may not seem so, I promise you there is beauty within darkness and positivity amidst negativity and struggle. All we can do is pray and ask God to reveal this goodness to us and give us the strength as we work through whatever it is we're going through. God is so good and he is always walking with us even if we don't recognize or acknowledge his presence. I'll leave you with a story that I heard several years ago on a retreat and one that I will never forget. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, There was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Do you trust God wholeheartedly? If not, what is holding you back? Never forget that God is walking with you through everything, the good and the bad, and that he loves you so much and truly favors you. Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God.